What you find so amusing? It's this feverish activity to try and stop something that we know is going to happen. I've told you of our position so yes, often. Yes, I know. You can't... Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Well, that was a secret, wasn't it? I get the impression they don't know where they're heading for. Come to that, do any of us. <laughs> I can't decide whether you're a rogue or a half-wit or both. When would you require my decision? Now. Here comes the drums! Bonjour and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television program. In random order, I'm Pete Paschal. Oui, oui, mon ami, je m'appelle Chris Taylor. And yes, we are on a very French uh, trip today, and that's about all the accent I think we're going to do. Mercifully <laughs> for your more ears, than they do in the thing we're about to talk about. I'll say, <laughs> and I admire you for going all the way with some real French words, other than that's right. bonjour. Some some real quotes from Hamilton. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, let's start by catching you fine folks up at home. Uh, if you have been under a rock for the last three episodes of Pull to Open. Here's where we've been recently. Well, now, we started off three weeks ago. We were watching Daleks commit suicide and have all sorts of psychological problems uh, that stemmed from the lack of their ability to fire their weapons. In Death to the Daleks, those poor Daleks in the Pertwee era. Yeah, and even... Even more poor, poor Daleks in the sewers of Scarrow in The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar was where we went to next in a very, very strange decision by the randomizer to uh, to just follow the, the hapless Daleks wherever they led. You know what? You describing both of those episodes just now, just I, I suddenly get it. We, we talk about the randomizer connection every year, but both of those stories feature cities melting. Yes, they do. <laughs> so that's the connection we totally missed. Yes, they do. If only the city in Death of the Daleks had had sewers uh, that the Doctor could work his way in through, uh, that may, then maybe he wouldn't have had all those uh, terrible puzzles to solve. Anyway. Well, they had hyper-advanced sanitation on. <laughs> Excellent. So they did totally unnecessary. Yeah, City of the Excellence. They didn't even have bathrooms, let alone sewers. Um, anyway, after after those sewers, we escaped in our randomizer and we went somewhere uh, that uh, has nothing to do with sewers at all, but uh, had uh, a lot of uh, seaside action and, wow. and Russians and um, and vampires that weren't called vampires and uh, some might say a sewer of a plot but yes it uh, it took <laughs> who us would to say the, that? who would say that not us surely anyway that was the curse of fenric that last time a very very controversial uh, episode to pull to open for some because uh, i know a lot of people out there liked the curse of fenric and we did not and no then now one either, <laughs> unless you count the far future where the world is just a bathroom and the ancient <laughs> one emerges out of it. Yeah, that's right. It's a bit, it's a bit sewerish, and you know the the, the curse of Fenric itself, the actual, um, you know, steaming pile of green, uh, <laughs> yeah. could be. Yeah, yeah. All right, enough already. Well, enough already. No, we no, said no, no, no. We did we, that last week. As we jumped into our TARDIS and hit the randomizer button. 
and asked I asked it to go forward, and that was a big mistake. We really wanted New Who, and what instead we got was was very very old Who, very old, dealing with a very very old subject. Uh, yes, we went to another Hartnell Historical, which the randomizer really seems to love. Pete, what is the name of this one? It is Season 1. Serial. Uh, oh my god, my French is bad. Quit. Oh my god, and I can't believe I'm from Canada. Anyway, Season 1, Serial 8, The Reign of Terror. Oui, oui. Yes, it is time to go to revolutionary France. Oh, I said we wouldn't do the accent, and there I go again. Yeah. It's no, just, I did it. That is my bad. It's just impossible to now, avoid. Guys. Yeah, Aristotle, big dog. Uh, sorry, I'm going to do a lot of uh, Blackadder accents, I think. Um, yes, we're in the Reign of Terror. That's right, a six-part Hartnell historical. And I think one of the things the randomizer wanted to do was point out the gaps in our Doctor Who knowledge. It does seem to do that because we said at the end of uh, last week, we were both like, is this this is missing? Is it? Is it mostly missing? Mm. I think that's what we think of in the Reign of Terror. No! No, monsieur, no, no. The reign of terror is in fact mostly intact. There it's, are it's two thirds intact. Yes, it's, it's it's yes. There are four, count them, four fully intact episodes that were, I believe, taken from Cyprus, uh, from mm-hmm, Cyprus TV station, and that we would have had all six episodes had the Turks not decided to bomb the TV station uh, oh, in 1974, man. right? That's, instead, we that, have that's to... the biggest loss of that. Particular... <laughs> well, Doctor Who fans have really suffered yeah. from, from unrest at the Commonwealth. But anyway... That's right. But there are two animated episodes that were done for the DVD release in 2012, so... We didn't even have to suffer through any telesnaps to watch this. It's all available. You know, since we're talking about it now, I, I wanted to talk about this in our main commentary. We're going to get to that. But I feel like this is such a meta point. Yeah. I want to get it off my chest immediately, which is to say, why isn't this episode on BritBox or literally any other service you could find classic who on. I just don't get it. There are four intact episodes and two animated episodes. Are we really that thrown by having going transitioning from live action to animation? And therefore it's like, oh no, no, we can't do that. We can't put this story because people just won't get it. Even though there are other animations like the power right. of the Daleks. Yeah. Like I think people will get it and just sort of slog through it they might wonder why but go ahead they'll that's great they'll google it and they'll figure out the legacy of doctor who like the story exists it's been recreated why isn't this in the rotation and it can't just be a rights thing yeah again because of because you know the other animations are in are in the the, 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 yeah, they're in the mix. Just, they're they're yeah. on BritBox. I mean, yeah. it seems like there's clearly been some decision made. To, oh, unless it's in, fully intact, either as an animation or as a live action, we're just not going to do these hybrid ones. And I say, stop that policy. Get yeah. everything out there that you possibly can that is a complete story. Like if it's incomplete, fair enough. Maybe you don't. I could see that being a hard line, but just just put it out there. Yeah, and you might say that the Reign of Terror has been skipped because you know it's not it's not the best known of historicals. People don't really talk about it in the same breath as the Aztecs, uh, you know, or some of the other historicals that we visit. 
But it's kind of super important because it was the end of the first season, right? And it does mm-hmm. have an ending that's appropriate to the end of the first season. They, you know, hey, well, let's uh, let's go find our destiny in the stars kind of moment. Uh, yeah, kind of similar that. to the time meddler, right? So it's it's historically important. Like it's a it's a it's a phase that Doctor Who might have been cancelled, you know, after its first season. This might have been it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of really important to see it. Uh, yeah, in no, all no. its glory. So, yeah. what are you doing, Britbox? Well, and I just feel like people doing rewatches, like, it's actually mm. nato- kind of difficult to find, you know? Like, if well, you actually decide today as a fan, oh, I want to watch it, yeah, there's things online, you can go to Daily Motion, which is actually what I did, but there's mm. no real uh, official place you can go watch it. And just there's a few uploads of the animations to YouTube. But the real episodes aren't there, like the, the the live action ones. And so it's kind of like if you decide you want to watch, like I tried to look for the DVD, not available on Amazon. Uh, no, no one was selling it on eBay. Uh, if it were not for sort of these pirated copies that are just floating around, I, I just can't see it as a fan who wants to see it and is willing to pay money to see it, which makes no freaking sense. Well, here we are complaining like sans culottes. <laughs> there we go. Rant over. Complaining like the Estate General in May 1789. Yes, that's right. We're going to get a huge history corner. Well, not so big because I haven't done that much research, but the French Revolution history corner. My goodness. I have to say, Pete, the, <laughs> the French Revolution, as far as historians are concerned, it's it's like the the uh, the ninja level. It's like, you know, this <laughs> PhD. This is, it is so complicated and so many factions turning on each other and oh my goodness uh i had a hell of a time even sort of doing the kind of the limited uh history corner that we're going to have uh you know because the reign of terror is just one year thankfully within the french revolution but we'll get to that we'll get to why does the doctor like the reign of terror so much we're told it's Mm. favorite period of history which is a bit disturbing um so, Obviously, because he gets to play dress up. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to get to all of that. But folks, before we get to that, we want to just remind you, hey, if you're on YouTube, hello, we're here. You Hi. can see us. And not only that, but you have a special thing you can do, which is you can become a true companion mm. of Ulta Open through our membership program on YouTube for the low, low price of $7.99 a month. You will not only get that warm feeling in your hearts, of supporting this uh, fine, fine Doctor Who podcast, but you will also be able to get the podcast a day early. That's right. You That's will get right. it Friday morning, not Saturday morning, and you will be a pull-to-open hipster. You might even call yourself a musketeer. Uh, you'll get all these titles. Yes, uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you, you will be a true citizen of the Republic, and you will not fall under suspicion. Uh, yeah. You will not be a victim of the terror if you are a true companion. And you can even raise your game if you really, really want to and really pledge uh, total allegiance to this podcast revolution. Uh, you can become a Viscount for a little bit more per month. And if you're at the Viscount <laughs> level, not only will you get a massive shout out here on the podcast, you get to be on the podcast. You can come on on an episode of Pull to Open and we will get your thoughts on whatever story we are talking about that week. So you get that guest spot at the Viscount level. Why not? Yes. And despite what you are going to hear in the, the history corner 
Uh, if you are a Viscount, you will not be led to meet Madame Guillotine. Um, <laughs> you, you will be treated nicely. Uh, not like... Nicely? Nicely. <laughs> not like Viscounts in the French Revolution or the uh, French equivalent. Uh, yes. Right. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks, fans. Thanks, fans, for already out there. We've got some super fans on Instagram, right, Pete? That's right. So we have uh, figured out a few things behind the scenes with Instagram. <laughs> I'll just say that. That's all I'll say about it. But I wanted to shout out a couple of longtime fans on Instagram that we've been talking to recently. I wanted to say thank you so much, Miranda, for being out there and sticking with us for so long. Um, been a big fan on Instagram for a while and is, is still trucking along. Thank you, Miranda. And I also wanted to shout out Natalie, who uh, was listening to our podcast while she was doing a rewatch of the entire series from the beginning from William wow. Arnold, and invented a way to listen to Pull to Open, oh my goodness. which we are calling the Fireplace Method. That's wow. her name. I actually forced her to name it because I, I really liked it. I wanted, I wanted a name for this method. So what she does is that on her rewatch, she will listen when, when she was rewatching she would as she goes through the rewatch she would listen to the podcast for the ones we had done mm. and then once she'd finished the rewatch and then we'd done others she'd go back and fill them in Whoa. right so she'd listen to the ones then that we had uh we had filled in yeah on her rewatch right and sort of okay. go through them again and then sort of keep looping back wow every time through the episodes we've done until I guess she's could listen to everything. <laughs> My goodness, so that's, it. that's the fireplace older. It's a little timey wimey, right? Why, you keep why? Back reliving, reliving. Oh, I see. We're talking girl in the fireplace. The same moments, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, that's fair enough. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for creating that, Natalie. Sorry that you're going to have to loop back to the reign of terror uh, <laughs> once again. You probably thought you were done with all that with the sensorites, but no. No, we're coming in hot with the story after the sensorites. Um, right. Yeah, okay, the fireplace method. I love it. I love it. Um, Pull to open, obviously, getting somewhere if there's a method for listening to it. Uh, I'm personally excited about the listening to all the pull, pull to open in uh, sequential Doctor Who order <laughs> when we've done everything. And, uh, you know, seeing how. how <laughs> kind of the 70th anniversary special. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay. Well, um, speaking of coming in hot, also mm. uh, coming in hot is the Hemoji Challenge. Oh, boy. Which, of course, is the part of the program where I get to torture Chris with uh, by describing emojis, which represent Doctor Who titles, and then watch him rack his brain trying to think of the title. Uh, you know, you know, of course, Pete, that the, the guillotine was invented as a humane form of execution. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say that. I do not think the Humoji challenge is a humane uh, thing. I, I will be launching a protest against it and uh, just, just guillotine me right now, sir. Well, maybe if we fail to get it three times <laughs> in a row, you can go free. <laughs> what is freedom? I'm not sure what that looks like, but All right. we're a few All right. times away from that. So let's get into it. Are you ready, sir? As I'll ever be. All right. One emoji. <laughs> and it is the blushing happy face with the hand in front of it. So there's a little smile behind the hand. The The eyes are smiling. Oh, God. And there's a little blush going on. And that A is it. Blushing, smiling face. 
dropping that in the chat. There it is. With, right. Okay, is it? It's it's not. Listen, it's not. It's not. Oh God, what's the? What's the? Is there a, like a don't speak story? Is that? Am I? <laughs> am I warm at all with with the? Is it? Is it like about not speaking? Is it? Uh, I would say it's about mm-hmm. something else that you utter if you were having this sort of expression, maybe. Uh, kablam! Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> getting warm. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. It's not. Can you hear me? Uh, God, something you would say if you were blushing and you were trying not to say anything? Well, I didn't say say. The verb I used was utter. Oh, you're trying not to. Oh, God. Suddenly, all Doctor Who titles have fled from my head, as often happens in the Humoji Challenge. I'm guessing that we're talking new Who. Let me. Yes. Okay. Um, so when I said getting warm with Kerblam, you're actually mm. pretty, getting pretty close in terms of the era. Mm. Um, so let me let me do a little motion for the YouTubers and the Spotify video podcasters that might give it away, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, it's it's well, it's, so it's not smile. It's uh, oh god. <laughs> Pete, that 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 is a wonderful sort of. You've obviously w- watched a lot of uh, animated cartoons like that. That's so. Um, so for those that can't see it, right I, I'm miming the the emoji with the, my hand in front of my face, and I'm kind of like, oh, is it is it the, up and down? Is it the giggle? It's the giggle. Oh, <laughs> nice! And that is our first fourteenth Doctor Who emoji. That's correct. Oh, I wasn't even thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Joe wow. Rep, for giving us that one. A little <laughs> on the hard side, it looks like, but they get harder from here on out. He's got yeah. a couple more in his package. So, folks, you too can submit a Who emoji for the Who emoji challenge. All you have to do is leave a review for the podcast. And the best place to do that is in the Apple Podcasts app. All you need to do is leave your emojis, either the title or the text of the review, and we will do the rest. Uh, the rest being giving our equivalent of the guillotine treatment to Chris Taylor here on this podcast. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, it is a far better thing I do, a far better place I go to. Uh by <laughs> going to poll to open, not the Humoji Challenge. Poll to open, yes, that's right. If you're yeah. on Spotify, <laughs> bien sûr. Uh, le poll to open, le poll to ouvre. Uh, I no, I'm so sorry. You're I'm so really... easy to trigger. <laughs> you really, yes. This is this is really a British thing. It's like, oh yes, someone does a comedy French accent, and everyone wants to join in. Uh, yes, fine, <laughs> fine, old British tradition. But yes, we have polls. Polls are open on Spotify. If you pull from the bottom of the screen, you can already, if you wish, rate the Reign of Terror. Uh, terrible, terrible Reign of Terror. Bad Robespierre. Mm, no, rate the Reign of Terror, the story, uh, using the poll to open rating system, and then we will uh, read it out in the future. I'll read out the polls in progress because, of course, these polls keep going for days and days and days, as long as we could set it on Spotify, right, Pete? Years and years. Years and years. Over 2,000 days left to vote. If you're in line, stay in line. Uh, But we have some results now from The Magician's Apprentice, The Witch is Familiar, which, just to remind you, Pete said was was a solid Dalek. That's right. 
which is what we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. Uh, I said it was a three-quarters Viscount Banger, which is what we rate the best of the best, and one-quarter Professor Hater, which is what we give to a bad episode, but they tried something new. They went somewhere new. They did something. They tried to educate us. Uh, so that was a, was a complicated rating. Complicated well, you tried rate. to educate us that that was correct, but now <laughs> the fans have, in this case... Yes. Sided with me because the Dalek is the champion in this poll for the magician's mm. party, which is familiar at almost half. That's about well, 46 and a bit percent. Uh, and that's far and away the leader in the poll. However, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> if you add up the Viscount Banger and the Professor Hater, you get. Uh, 46.2% yes it's equal so it's it's a half Dalek half banger so that still isn't a three quarter banger no quarter hater no but you put the two together and they're they're about equal sir so we've got like a French revolution situation where this poll is just being torn apart you know, I conflict. feel like this is the taste great, less filling poll of pull to open. You could see it <laughs> one way or the other way, because you're right. If you eliminate the Dalek rating and you assume that's the average, then you're, you get it. And then if you eliminate your stuff, clearly the Dalek is like far and away the thing. So let's just call it off. Let's just. Say <laughs> yeah, that's that's how revolutions go, isn't it? We, we can just call <laughs> the whole thing off. Hey, we got a disagreement about how this revolution is going to go. Let's call it off. No, sir. No, sir. This is a democracy. And uh, as such, we're going to have to go to the Supreme Court um, to to <laughs> to get the final analysis on on this this hung election. And the Supreme Court is you, dear listeners. So go, go and vote on Justice Apprentice, the witch is familiar. Your votes can change and decide the the final ratings on this. It's still open, and we'll revisit it in a future podcast. Um, I'll be sure to keep keep a special eye on this particular rating um, just to see who wins. All right. Speaking of visiting things, we have to visit now our regular segment that we begin every commentary uh. with. There's no denying it. There's no getting around it. We need <sighs> to summarize the plot of the Reign of Terror in record time. Now, the Reign of Terror is six classic episodes, and for every classic episode, we allot 30 seconds. And that would give the person doing this a full three minutes to describe the plot of the Reign of Terror. And whoever that monsieur is, monsieur <laughs> Christopher Taylor, Taylor, let's go Taylor. I, um, I do not know who this man is. <laughs> yeah. Kiss it is not me. Sorry. Christian names only. All that's, right. That's a special that's secret true. system. <laughs> Christopher. Right, are you ready for this? You got it? You got oh, it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, just we not ready. Uh, no, I okay. No, I'm. I'm oh, you are. Ready. Let's 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 do it. Let's do it. Um, let's just go right into it. I'm you going to this. stand in the Place de Revolution and declaim this and whip the crowd up into a frenzy with my TLDW. I've got faith in you, even though history being my guide <laughs> might be leading <laughs> me astray. I think it's going to be all right. All right, here we go. The official pull to open summary of the Reign of Terror. In three, two, one. Okay, so the Doctor 
Ian and Barbara and Susan have landed and the doctor wants to kick Ian and Barbara out because they wanted to leave and he's being all huffy about it. Uh, and Ian's like, well, hey, why are you doing that? We don't even know where we are. Come on out for a drink. And the doctor's like, okay. And they find this abandoned farmhouse and there are these costumes in it. And they realize they're in France and the Reign of Terror, which turns out, according to Susan, to be the doctor's favorite period in history. Uh, and it turns out to be a, a, a farmhouse that's like on this sort of underground railroad for aristocrats. They're getting smuggled out and they, they meet two of them. But then the soldiers arrive and they shoot the two aristocrats and, and they arrest everyone. And they get taken to Paris to a famous prison and they, they get thrown into different cells. And while Susan and Barbara are trying to literally dig their way out of the cell, uh, Ian gets into a cell with this dude who's who's dying. And he tells Ian that he's got to meet this guy called Jules and uh, by the sign of this pub or other. And then he dies. And then uh, Ian, Ian escapes for a bit. And, and so does D- Susan and Barbara get freed on their way to the guillotine uh, by by a couple of Scarlet Pimpernel types uh, who take them back to their hideout. And there's all this, also this guy called Leon Colbert who uh, flirts with Barbara. And, and Susan's just sick. She's kind of out of action. And, and Ian meets Jean, who's also part of this safe house. And the doctor is walking to Paris uh, because yeah, there was pretty. a fire at the uh, at the uh, farmhouse, and and he you know gets involved in this chain gang and and gets out of that, and then he gets into Paris and gets his costume, um, and tries to free everyone from the prison by walking and pretending to be this uh, this authority from the south of France. Um, and, but the tailor is uh, is on his case and and gives the gives uh, this guy Lamathe. Uh, the doctor's signet ring and uh, but the matter turns out to be James Sterling who's the Scarlet Pimpernel type character who Ian has to contact Uh, and uh, but meanwhile he's already introduced the doctor to Robespierre who's the 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 head of the the reign of terror and the head of France at this time who's just paranoid against getting brought down and he thinks the deputies are plotting against him and guess what he is and uh, everyone after after everyone gets free and everyone gets in and out of prison all the time uh, but uh, eventually they go to this pub where one of the uh, deputies is going to meet Napoleon. It turns out it's Napoleon Bonaparte, and he's like offering this this role of they take a Robespierre. Uh, but anyway, it all happens. Robespierre gets gets arrested. Uh, they can't change history, not one line, and they they head off back to the TARDIS with all the uh, the uh, with Jules and James Sterling and everyone, and and then they they go off uh, towards the stars and. And it's sort of a bit of a damn squib because they can't really change history, and so not yeah. nothing much happens. Time. <laughs> nice. hey. There you go. Good job. Ooh. You got it. I feel Thank like you. you were wrapping it up around two forty-five. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, really, you didn't. Not much to yeah. say there at the end, right? Yeah, and you you thankfully avoided uh, any number of rabbit holes you could have gone down with the jailer, with uh-huh. the doctor. Uh, not the doctor, doctor, but the uh, the physician. I should oh, say. God, yes. I'm glad they called him the physician and not the doctor. The physician. Been, although if they had called him the doctor, there could have been some pretty fun French farce going on. Like, <laughs> who are you talking about? What? Who, so, who is the doctor? Doctor who? Yeah. Doctor thinking about that it is the choices they make here um i think generally work because they're taking it seriously that's what i'll say mm. like they they apart from the jailer perhaps and um uh, there really aren't that many comedic 
moments or characters in this particular story. And I think the jailer then just functions as he's a comic bit of, relief. Kind, kind of comic relief. I think not too comical because he's kind of creepy comic relief. Mm-hmm. But generally, they take it seriously. They don't go for farcical things. There's not really a lot of jokes. And I think that's very, very appropriate. I think this is essentially trying to give you a tour, not necessarily of historically accurate details, which we'll get into, I'm sure, in the corner. <laughs> mm. But it is, a, I think, a very effective tour of this sort of this society that's decaying because of all the violence and fear within it. And it's that's pretty good. Like I, I, th- I think the feel of this episode is 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 very good. You really do sort of feel the peril when they're in the prison and sort of constantly getting captured and have guns trained on them. And the bayonets actually look pretty serious. Yeah. So points, points for the reign of terror for going to a um, kind of, you know, obviously a very uh, troublesome part of history and, and not Sorry. really, <laughs> I think the word is um, uncompromising that i read in one review mm. i think that might have been the discontinuity guide and i think that's pretty accurate it is it's also unfortunate because it's it's got so many characters that we get introduced to one after the other and it's it's not until like episode three that we even meet our sort of uh, main uh you know the, the the house with the aristocratic underground railroad um, so we're not really given a lot of chance to sympathize with these characters. And when we finally meet Robespierre, who's sort of the, the first big historical character that we meet, he's not even, he doesn't even feel real. Like it's the dialogue that is put into his mouth. It's so, so staged. Um, and he just, uh, you know, kind of talks, he doesn't talk like a real human. Uh, you know, he's like, for example, he's just like, one of the first things he does is lists the number of executions that there have been in the last nine days in Paris alone. And he says, what a memory I shall leave if this thing lasts. Really? Do historical talk to characters talk like that? What an impression I shall leave on history if, 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 if this is the only thing people remember me for. And and what's especially dumb is that he he there's one point just before his downfall where he's like listing this date. He's like this date will will live in infamy or whatever you know. And it's twenty seventh of July, seventeen ninety four. Well, first of all, okay, that's the date that the downfall of Robespierre begins. But that's not actually even what Robespierre would have called it. It was known as the month of Thermidor. Uh, because that's what the French did. They just to confuse things, they introduced an entire new calendar uh, after the revolution. And the month of Thermidor was between July and August. It was literally the the hot month. Uh, so <laughs> thing, things got a bit steamy uh, in that you know, Thermidor. Understandably, um, the revolution just wants longer summers. That's what it was all about, right? More but vacation. You, yeah, but you don't really get a sense of Robespierre as a human being. And there is so yeah. now I know well, Robespierre as a human being. There's so much you could have done with the guy. Yeah, and I think to your point, if this were made today, and you kind of look at other all borderline historic pure historicals as precedent. So the one I'm thinking of specifically is the Witchfinders. Yeah, King James becomes a character and one of the best characters in that particular adventure, I think you would write it that way. Thankfully yeah. here, yes, you're not wrong about him being this sort of historical caricature rather than a character, but he's not in it much. Um, now yeah. that said, I'm not going to sort of go like, and all the other characters are awesome and great. And I was super into them <laughs> because I, I think 
they all sort of whoever they are, Leon and Jules and um, all the others. Uh, Barras is mentioned and seen yes. at one point. He's you, he's a real one. Yeah, you get you get all of that. Uh, there's just a few too many. And that's, honestly, yeah, that's definitely. that's a little bit, you know, again, Reign of Terror a bit in a nutshell. A, a few too many. A few too many episodes. A <laughs> few too many characters. A few too many capture, recapture, double crosses that go through this story. I get it. You know, this could have been four episodes. It might have even been able to three episodes if, if you're going mm-hmm. by new standards, right? Um, so, but that said, I mean, pretty good stuff, generally. I think I think the... Um, the, the double crosses, sort of the, the fear, the costumes, uh, and again, it's sort of punctuated with the jailer throughout you, you get some, it holds your attention for at least four of those episodes. And it, it is kind of brought to not quite another level, but when they pull in Napoleon at the end, it's like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Um, again, just sort of showing you what happens, not yes. really doing a whole hell of a lot of interesting stuff with it. It will not surprise you to learn, Pete, uh, and we're, n- we're not really in the history corner yet, but I'm just going to say it out here because Napoleon <laughs> does show all that. The whole thing is the corner of history. Uh, yes, no, Napoleon was not there, was not, like, that's so right. ahistorical. And everything else is sort of, like, being like, hey, we're going to, hey, kids, we're going to teach you a bit about the French Revolution. But to have mm. Napoleon just show up, Napoleon was in Italy at the time. And Napoleon was, it, it sort of suggested that they... Chris, maybe that's what they want you to think. <laughs> it was suggested uh, that... Thank you, Apple, it, for giving me that thumbs up, by the yeah, way. Hey, yeah, I, I love it, the thumbs uh, up. It again. There it is. Um, yeah, so they had in the last episode... The bubbles are coming. Am I getting one now? No, I don't know. Okay. Bubbles are coming. Um, anyway, now in the last episode, like why even? Because you, you either you're teaching kids about history or you're not, right? Yeah. So it's just the last episode. Napoleon's going to, going to, you know, take charge if Robespierre uh, has his downfall, and you would leave that thinking that because the the last thing they talk about in the TARDIS is like, well, what if we could have just written a letter to Napoleon, or what if we could tell him about his future? Mm. And Ian's all like, keep an eye on Napoleon Bonaparte to you know to <laughs> jewels or sterling or whatever or yeah. also the camera yeah <laughs> hey <laughs> hey kids keep an eye on napoleon bonaparte but it's a historical it's like it's it's four years before napoleon would take over he was actually mm. he wasn't uh, a potential replacement for robespierre he was actually briefly arrested for being uh, he was suspected of being too pro robespierre because robespierre's brother uh august well, not surprise you to learn there was a, a bit of a nepotism in the in the revolutionary government here. Uh, yeah. w- had actually gone to Italy and met him and wrote to Maximilian Robespierre, the the Robespierre that we know and love, um, and said, uh, "Hey, this Napoleon guy's pretty cool. You should keep an eye on him." Um, so that that marked him out as being a bit too close, and he was actually arrested, and, the, and then he was freed. But it was he was like he was he'd only just been given command of the artillery in Italy. He was not anywhere near taking over it would be a meteoric rise over the next four years yeah. so why well i would why even yeah, do that yeah well i think they you know it's, it's slapdash and it, i think mm. you can kind of tell that they're writing and rewriting here on the fly to some extent so again i think not to be an apologist for it but they 
there's no internet in the sixties. There's not, you'd have to run and go and do some research and they should have, and they did, and mm. they probably did some, they just didn't get some scholar or someone on the line at Oxford who could actually vet the script and, and give them stuff. And even, even if they still want to throw in Napoleon, which I think is you have total license to do because you want to throw in figures and do interesting stuff for a TV audience. You know, this isn't supposed to be a lecture, uh, even if you still go ahead, well, we're going to be a historical, like be clear about that. Do, do, yeah. do something like I just did like, oh, this isn't in the history books, but hey, maybe, maybe it was and write it in such a way that maybe it could have happened, even though there's no record of it. And just be clear. That's what you're doing. So I, yeah. I think it's OK. When, but like, when Ian, in, in fact, in that bar where Ian uh, puts on his 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 uh, mock accent of like, uh, you know, uh, Thank you, sir. When when Napoleon walks in, it's uh, like the a, one mock accent of the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. We can yeah, talk about and, that. Anyway. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, you know, and uh, Napoleon pokes his hand out of the room, and he's like, Barbara, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least Barbara could have been like, oh, he's not supposed to be here. That's strange, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. And how does he even know, right? Like, I guess the hat. <laughs> <laughs> but he was wearing you the hat before. Looks like. it, it was just like he walked in with like his scarf across his face, and then he looks out with his scarf not across his face. Brilliant disguise there, Napoleon. Yeah, it's like like we all know what Napoleon looks like. I mean, I guess you could sort of go by just how tall he is, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you make up the accent. So I just want to get that out of the way. Like it's, I like that they really make no mention of it throughout like why everyone's speaking English. They just don't yes. even address it, which I think is the smartest possible way to do it. No one's doing a dumb accent and no one's even pointing out who's speaking French and who isn't. So this is the way to do it, right? Cause it's like, you're doing it essentially as a play, uh, mm -hmm. which is what Dr. Who was back then. It was essentially play a play on tape. And, you know, you don't have to, like, again, you don't have to address it at this, certainly at this point in Doctor Who. Now, later they would go on to address that the TARDIS translates things, and that's how this sort of works, and that's sort of actually a really interesting thing, and then everyone can sort of sit, watch the show with that layer on top of it. Um, but at this point, you don't need it, and... I, I kind of thought it was kind of laughable how the novel tried to explain it. So, you know, mm -hmm. I have the novel. I think you you checked it out as well. Mm -hmm. This is something that I've, I've had since the 80s. And as I was rereading it, when we I was coincidentally at the same time watching this, um, it, it's every every few pages it talks about someone's talking in sort of uh, passable French or impeccable <laughs> French, particularly like the doctor and Barbara and Ian. Yeah. And it just kind of draws attention to a thing that you don't really want it to. Right. And uh, like, and it kind of, I think it works a little bit with the doctor. Cause of course he's the, the, this mysterious person. And uh, this was written by Ian Martyr. So it's written well after everything. And so you kind of get, you have to sort of make him to be this mythical person. Um, but I just found it just to be generally clumsy. Like yeah. again, why, why focus on the language when really you just want the drama. So I'm glad they didn't do the accents or anything in the show because I think that would have made it laughable. Uh, everyone hates those accents. Well, and then, you say that the, the jailer does have a broad northern accent to sort of symbolize that he's a, he's a bit thick, uh, mm. which is unfortunate. Um, like a, a northern 
accent in terms of a uh, northern british accent northern right? british ac- accent right. yes yes uh which is you know sort of a long-held convention or whatever um but yeah let's let's not dwell on accents let's let's talk about how this works as as a story for the four regulars uh yeah. because i think two two of them have a really good uh reign of terror um and two of them <laughs> have a really bad one and uh, the, the two good ones i think are the doctor and barbara yeah. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna guess, <laughs> but I, I was right. It's, it's kind of obvious, right? I mean, you yeah. know, Susan is just terrible. Uh, she gets sick and then gets well without any help from the physician at all, who, uh, you know, uh, who uh, dobs them in to to the Revolutionary Guard. Um, so, well, and also they, that? yeah, and you kind of wonder what's the point of even going to the physician in the first place because she mm. seems to be on the mend already i think that's yeah. even part of the dialogue and it's like well we need to take her to a doctor anyway like no you don't you really don't yeah. what, what's it again barbara is the history teacher like yeah. you know what doctors are like and what medicine is like in this period Leeches. you really think a physician is going to do better than you a relative layperson, but a smart person from 1963 Right, uh, with the benefit of modern medicine, I, exactly. I don't think so. Yeah, so so that's just weird, and you can see why Caroline Ford, you know, was was not happy with her role in the show because this is all she gets to do. I mean, this what she's so hapless. There's one point at which uh, Barbara and Susan are trying to tunnel their way out of the cell, and Susan, instead of like hitting the ground, hits herself. Right. I, I, I just why uh, is she is she so incompetent? So it's kind of a bad episode, but it's a bit bit of a bad story for Ian. But that's largely because William Russell was the last of the regulars to take a vacation during mm. during the filming, the famously punishing filming of of season one, uh, which was extended. So he gets to go off and he pre-recorded his bits in prison. So he went off and had a a two week vacation during the Reign of Terror. Uh, good mm. for him, but yeah, but the doctor gets to uh, dress up, which is yeah. nice. Um, Larger in charge. Yeah, I mean, we see we see a lot more character for the doctor in this, and it's interesting. Uh, I, I talked with uh, Death to the Daleks about uh, introducing a new a new fan to Doctor Who. It's always a lovely moment when that happens, isn't it? When one of your friends becomes a Doctor Who mm. fan. Uh, this friend has since named the doctor, or at least the first doctor, Dr. Sassy Little Bitch, uh, which I think <laughs> is entirely appropriate for what he does here. He's super sassy all over the place to the, to the overseer that captures him on the road, uh, right. you know, eventually braining him with a shovel. Uh, but like he didn't even need to be sassy to the overseer and, and get part, you know, uh, captured as part of that chain gang. Right. Yeah, and I was watching this with Grace, and after we finished, and she gave her review of it being essentially too long. The whole idea she she kind of reflected back on that bit where he gets thrown into the chain gang or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and she was like, "What's the point of that?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, that I think that was some script editing. That was that's what we call filler, Grace." And then not only that, because I think she thought of it because the the scene subsequent to that where he just keeps walking and it's not yeah. even William Hartnell. It's just Hartnell shot or the doctor shot from behind walking along very sort of French looking 
streets it's, uh, and paths. Mr. Proud, Brian Proudfoot is Brian the guy Proudfoot, who is yes. the he's the doctor's stunt double for walking, and he has the distinction of being the first person to do location shooting mm. for Doctor Who. It wasn't yes. even the cast, you know, it was just this ex this this understudy for <laughs> William Hartnell got to be the first person to uh sort of quote unquote act on location for Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah. You could um, uh, update your spreadsheets if you wish and uh call this the first multi-doctor story. If you're being very, uh, very loose with your definition, two people play the Doctor within this. Uh, one of them just for the walking scenes. Uh, but apparently, he Brian Proudfoot like what would go on set like he was very serious about this role. He went on set and like copied Hartnell's walking style, like you know, in preparation for this uh, for this on the scene footage. Yeah. Well, good for him, uh, I mean, which just, like, annoyed the hell out of William Hartnell, who was already. <laughs> was already upset because the director was Hungarian and Hartnell didn't like foreigners. I mean, to be fair, Hartnell <laughs> being annoyed, that's like, <laughs> that's a good day for him. Like he's yes. annoyed three times before breakfast, to, you know, <laughs> and it's just not a day if he doesn't do that. Mm, but anyway, yes. it's, it's a clear, like it's all clearly padding. Right. And <laughs> they're just kind of giving him one extra obstacle to encounter on the road on the way to Paris while he's doing his thing now that said i do think you're right that otherwise it's really good for the doctor and mm. him being able to talk himself into this costume and then be more or less large and in charge for a good chunks of the story um is really fun to see and i like it's new sort Who-ish, of, isn't yeah. it the, the way the way the doctor runs ring around the jail like it's it's establishing that the doctor can do you know his weapons are his words yes and, exactly yeah yeah, and and it's really good for that. And he really loves that outfit. My goodness, uh, mm. I think this is the first time, the first historical where the doctor, because he doesn't wear anything in Marco Polo, right? Mm. Uh, where where the doctor is like wearing local costumes. Uh, Have they shown outfit. that costume in the TARDIS since? Because he goes back with it. You know, he cha- ah. you see the final scene. He's changing back into his outfit, and you kind of like, oh wow, that was such a great costume. I, I I don't know, eagle-eyed people. Maybe it's in that the tenant, you know, wardrobe scene or something like that. But I would love to just sort of just see a reference to his his sort of tricolor thing and his, yep. his feather hat. And it's like, oh, there it is. Well, we know Shooty's doctor likes his clothes, so maybe yeah. maybe this can be referenced. Uh, maybe he can look wistfully at that outfit and go, all the tragedy of the reign of terror. Mm, my favorite um, oh, period yes my favorite period yeah so let's talk about that while we're talking about the doctor we'll get on to barbara but let's talk about the fact that that susan so this has been smoothed over in mm. doctor who history as, as, as some fans are like oh yeah the, his favorite moment is the is the french revolution and this was sort of what uh rtd and moffat were getting at with tenants love of france like saying allons-y you know right. uh, and the the girl in the fireplace like all of this was supposed to be a reference to the doctor kind of loving france in general loving the french revolution in general but mm. that's not what is said what is actually said in the script and this is according to susan so you know you could say rule number one the doctor's granddaughter lies um <laughs> that's one but, a but the the dialogue is susan 
says, we might not get back to the ship if Grandfather hears we're in the Reign of Terror. Not the French Revolution, the mm. Reign of Terror. Right. Uh, and Ian says, why not? Susan says, it, it, the Reign of Terror, is his favorite period in the history of Earth. Mm. Everything. Now, the Reign of Terror, again, we'll get into the history corner, but it's one year. Right. It's one year in the middle of the French Revolution with the most guillotine action. So... Does the doctor just like seeing people's heads cut, cut off? Is is that why he loves the <laughs> Reign of Terror so much? Does he just like chaos and confusion and sassiness? Well, I think it. You, this what you just said is probably better in that, like, he, chaos, confusion, and the messiness that results from you know the uh, this sort of revolutionary idea that. Uh, you can't really understand the consequences of. I think it's something mm. that he struggles with, you know, as he goes along on his adventures and sort of creates these little revolutions everywhere. But it, is it, he he must be on some level ambivalent about it, right? If he loves this mm. period so much, because he must appreciate the complexity and the potential fallout if 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 it's done in such a chaotic manner. Yeah. Um, I kind of yeah, like it know. as a way that, that it sort of um, kind of enhances the mystery of the Doctor. Hmm. But also, it's like it doesn't make it clear what the Doctor's politics necessarily are. Now, we, we know from his uh, contact with the Overseer that he's just against blowhards. And like, you, yeah. you'll get more work done if you, you know, talk to these people nicely, sir, he says, in a more sassy way. Hmm. Um, but he, uh, yeah, you could say that he likes the Reign of Terror because it's like, you know, uh, he likes seeing lots of aristocrats with their head getting cut off, and he's actually on the side of the people. Or maybe he likes it because he's kind of a bit more conservative, and he's like, "Yeah, see what happens. You put progressives right, exactly. in charge, and yeah. they go full Stalin within a few years." <laughs> you know, it, which is basically what the Reign of Terror is. It's a very cautionary tale for you know liberals and purity tests. Yeah, so, yeah. But let's, let's go on. You can also get to make the case that he isn't as into it anymore. Like maybe yeah. this is early young doctor loving the idea of, of revolutions and um, just, you know, the, the wanting to dive feet first into the messiness of history and then older, wiser doctor that we sort of see certainly a new um, has, has taken on sort of a more mature outlook on it mm. and maybe, even like you might even see hints of this in like Colin Baker, where he says, I remember in Mark of the Ronnie that even though he interferes constantly, he's like not to that extent, you know? Mm. Um, so maybe he's gotten a little more cautionary, uh, cautionary in his old age, but all speculation really. Yes. Well, well, we'll get into the history corner shortly, but, but let's talk about Barbara who has yeah. I think, the, the best episode of any of the regulars. Uh, totally. Totally. Not only does she get to slap the jailer hard across the face when the jailer even suggests that he might be able to let her out for a, for a little company, mm. um, you know, and uh, that that's a good moment for her. But also, like uh, Leon Colbert is hitting on her like crazy. Mm, and she's and, into it. Uh, she's into it. Yes, uh, yeah. it's a good thing that Ian is not around to see this. <laughs> or he might get a bit jealous. 
Um, well, Barbara has a lot great story. I totally agree. Yeah. She gets to be sort of matronly with Susan. And unfortunately, there's that sort of contrast with them where she's being the sensible, practical one when they need to escape. And Susan's just, I can't, I can't do it, Barbara. I can't do uh, anything. And, you know, not to blame Susan for her own illness, but it is like she's not coming out very well in that scene. Whereas Barbara uh-huh. is like, okay, like, oh, I'm. I'm taking command of this. Um, she, all the stuff you just said, yep, hundred percent. But she also has like a couple of nice. I would even go as far to say magical scenes where she yeah. gets to be the history teacher, but from a different perspective. You know, she gets to use that arm's length perspective on the revolution and sort of talk about Leon and uh, in, in that particular scene where he talks about. She, he's a patriot, and if we see things from his point of view, yes, there's. So there, I've, it's I've not got as, that whole yeah. exchange right yeah. here because I think it's it's Aztec worthy. It's like you know, it, it's a shame that the Reign of Terror isn't isn't better known, like because you you guys you're, you're missing this scene where uh, Ian basically comes in. He's like witnessed the Reign of Terror firsthand. He's like you know. I, I could have been shot or I could have shot this guy or like, you know, he was, he was trying to, uh, you know, he was, he was, it was also him and like, you know, and, and he kind of, his, his blood is up and, and, uh, Barbara's, Barbara's like, no, from her, from his perspective, he was a patriot. And then she says, the revolution isn't all bad and neither are the people who support it. It changed things, the whole world and good, honest people gave their lives for that change. And Ian's stuck in the mud and he says, well, he got what he deserved. And Barbara says, you check your history books, Ian, before you decide what people deserve. Damn. And then she drops a microphone, (laughs) weirdly, on the set, inventing the mic drop. Uh, No, no, that doesn't happen. Um, But then later, like, she has the existential moment with with Ian and Jules. She says, I'm so sick and tired of death. We never seem to be able to get away from it. And Jules just says, there is no way, Barbara. Like, whoa, dark. Yeah, Um, great scenes. And I love the one with Ian. Honestly, if there is a scene where I would say Ian falls in love with Barbara, Mm. it's probably that one where she she speaks so passionately from the heart and just really gets him to reflect on his own actions and, and the things happening around him. I mean... I think their bond is nice and stronger. I think it's even before that scene, but they get a little close to each other when they uh, Mm -hmm. finally are reunited at the house and stuff. And just the body language between the two of them at that point, you really feel like there is a... Uh, oh, they, a deeper beyond friendship connection uh, right? between Ian and Barbara, for sure. I, right? I definitely know. got that vibe. I think it was episode three. You, you kind of get that vibe when, whenever they're talking. I've, I kind of yeah. hadn't noticed this before, but like they're they're in each other's like, for want of a better word, face space. Oh, they're in their personal space, all right. Yeah, they they don't mind at all. They're very used to it. Yeah, I like. Oh that. yeah, yeah. You can tell <laughs> not, there's there's no shipper, right? There's <laughs> normally a pillow between them in those moments. Like it's oh, definitely yeah. got it's got pillow talk vibes. Um, but yeah, and then then there's one more thing that I want to mention about Barbara, which is right at the end, uh, where she does actually reference the Aztecs and what mm-hmm. she learned from that. Um, and she actually kind of blows open the whole story and its main weakness, which is when she says Robespierre will be guillotined no matter what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what were we just tourists there? And then the doctor responds with, we can't stem the tide, but we can at least stop being carried away with the flood. 
which yeah. is interesting. It's, you know, definitely the first in a long line of the doctor saying, well, you know, we, we can't do anything, but like maybe That's we can save one man. life or whatever. All these poetic lines, mm. it's really nicely written on this level. And maybe it's just the influence of the French culture and mm-hmm. they're all getting inspired. But uh, yeah, I'm really happy to have seen the Reign of Terror finally. Uh, and I'll just sort of say personally, I always love revisiting this era because this is, if not my favorite TARDIS team, it's in my top three um, mm-hmm. of the Doctor, Ian, Barber, and Susan. And the the idea that, again, not to steer back to the, I don't want to reopen the whole thing on this being available, but I I, I kind of want to flip that. And like, I'm I'm very grateful that in today's internet age, we can relatively easily see this and I can revisit this team and see what are for me effectively new adventures with them. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really super happy to have seen the Reign of Terror and sort of see these lines and see these moments. And I'm also going to piggyback off your comments about the Barbara and reflecting on the Aztecs because I do think that final scene where they're talking in the TARDIS about well what would have happened if we'd warned Napoleon and you know could what if some what would have tried to shoot him I guess we would have missed. I, I almost mm. feel like they're reopening the Aztecs. You can't change history. Not one line bit. Yeah. Um, which again, we talked about that at the time where it's like uh, subsequent uh, doctor who has sort of shown that there isn't a physical law that prevents you from changing history. Mm-hmm. Um, there is what you might call sort of the, the flow of time or the arc of time that is probably hard to bend but can you change history? hundred percent. You can, time can be rewritten. And even though that's not what they're explicitly saying here, I do feel like this sort of is the first step to reopening the book on that. Yeah. And, which subsequent it, doctor who would then fill in with like, yes, you can. Barbara throughout here is, is kind of just done with the doctor's bullshit throughout it. And like she's, <laughs> there you go. she's kind of instituting a bit of a reign of terror herself. Like there's one line, which is a kind of a blink and you miss it line where, uh, like, uh, Barbara is, is saying that Ian tell, she tells Ian when he comes into the house, Oh, you need to go to talk to Jules. And Ian just has a line like that sounded like an order. Um, <laughs> what, what is this? A woman giving me orders? Uh, are we married already? What the hell? Um, and then when, when she's like, you know, uh, they're waiting for the doctor, uh, she says, Oh, no doubt. We'll get the whole story several times. Like, Whoa, getting a little sassy about the doctor's habit of repeating himself. And, <laughs> and nice. like telling long stories that perhaps go on a bit too long. So I'm sensing a pivot to the corner, but before we do that, I would love to everyone know about our corner of the internet, which is at pulltoopen.net, where you can sign up for our newsletter and get full notes on this episode and every episode. Uh, You can also support us there with a subscription, and you can also support us on Patreon. Yes, you can also become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash poll to open. And if you do that, we will get you into the true companion status on YouTube, which of course means you will get the podcast a day early. Indeed. Well, before we get into the corner, I did want to actually bring up, I guess this is History Corner as well, because it's all about sort of the image of the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror. Are you familiar with Pete with the Scarlet Pimpernel? Uh, A little bit. I, I... I'm actually familiar about it 
with through a Wayne and Schuster comedy sketch, which was a comedy duo in Canada, huh. which used to do something called the Brown Pumpernickel, I think. <laughs> um, and it was, I didn't know the original version of that mm-hmm. uh, until many years later. I just thought it was kind of a funny, hilarious thing where this sort of masked person or whatever would just leave pumpernickels all over the place. But, I love it. uh, do tell. Yes. I have not seen that very popular weighted Schuster sketch. Uh, <laughs> what I, what that the is Scarlet Pimpernel is. Fascinating because I'd never even seen uh, or read the Scarlet Pimpernel either. Uh, I've just seen the, the Blackadder version, uh, which is, you know, kind of a similar. Like it's just evolved into comedy sketches. I feel like that's how my generation knows about it. Uh, yes, the Scarlet Pimpernel, they seek him there. They, they seek him here. They seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? Uh, that damn Scarlet Pimpernel. So it was a book, I believe, in 1905 by a baroness uh, in, in the UK about a, uh, a fop, a British fop. Fop. Uh, Okay, now we have to explain what a fop is. You no, know, just a you know, a kind of a louche, kind of you know, kind of a louche. Uh, What's a, now we have to explain what a louche is. <laughs> uh, just, just a, what you think of as an aristocrat of like just being like so posh and so like eh, oh, uh, I hold a handkerchief in my hand, uh, mm-hmm. like you know the classic image of the aristocrat. But Got this, it. this, uh, this is a fop who's actually that's is actually a secret identity. And he's really the Scarlet Pimpernel who spirits aristocrats away from the revolution in France uh, and back to England. So that's who the character James Sterling was. By the way, mm. James Sterling, not really an effective spy name. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's whole spy ring with its all Christian names only kind of uh, thing. Like, oh, that's except really going <laughs> to... Yeah, Christian names only except for the two guys who get killed at the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a, uh, well, not even, like, how about assumed names? Anyway, uh, this, so yeah, James Sterling's based on the Scarlet Pimpernel. It was a book, it was a play, it was a series of books, it was super popular. Um, but yeah, he did, it, it, it is sort of renowned now as kind of the people think, including Stan Lee, uh, the late uh, leader of Marvel, uh, think that the Scarlet Pimpernel was kind of the first superhero in a lot of ways, in terms yeah. of him having this alter ego. Well, does it predate Zorro? When was Zorro? It does predate Zorro. Got it. Okay. Uh, it's like 1905. So so everything after this, including Superman, Batman, the whole idea of having an alter ego who is nothing like the superhero mm-hmm. goes back to the Scarlet Pimpernel. So that's the beginnings of it. So that that's one one reference that the show was trying to make. Like Most of the British audience would have been familiar with the Scarlet Pimpernel and the concept. And that might be the first thing they think of when they think of the reign of terror. But how about you, Pete? I, I also wanted to ask, like, what, what is your general um, historical awareness of the French Revolution and the reign of terror? You know, we took it in high school and yeah. that's pretty much it. So it was like 11th <laughs> grade. It was a f- couple of weeks, a few weeks. We talked about it. Certainly we went over Robespierre and the guillotine um, uh, to the credit of the school system, there was not a lot of moralizing about who was in the right, who wasn't, and mm-hmm. you know, um, it was just a sort of a, a play-by-play of what happened and sort of the, the historical significance of it. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I would say it was, <laughs> it was the most basic level at a eleventh grade level, which to, for me, I'm not even going to say mm-hmm. how long ago that was. It was, 
you know, a lot of a lot of my memory from that period has been dragged and dropped. So, you know, the this again, like I say, I think the broad strokes of it I got, I felt like I uh, the this serial sort of gave a feeling of experience of that in terms mm-hmm. of the grimness um and how sort of brutal it is, like, you know, with particularly stuff in the cells. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of the like, I I really didn't know about like what the Napoleon stuff, who was there, uh, overall how long it lasted, etc. Like it's uh, yeah. it's all just kind of thrown together in this sort of historical sort of smoosh of the French Revolution. To me, well, of course, what you may know about the French Revolution is that it's all the Americans' fault. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> of course, yeah, of course, of course. not. Not in the sense of the Americans leading the way in revolution, although it certainly was an influence, certainly on the Declaration of the Rights of Man was very Bill of Rights-esque, but it was the fact that the French state pretty much went bankrupt uh, supporting the American Revolution. Uh, mm. the, the king was very pro-American Revolution, not very pro-French Revolution, I'll surprise you to learn, uh, <laughs> but went bankrupt, so he had to call the Estate General, which is their parliament, and, and get some funding because he couldn't pay his creditors. Uh, and that's when it all started, and it was like there was a bad harvest, and the Estate General went just psycho on on the king's ass. Once once they had separated themselves off the third estate, which is like everyone else except the nobles and the clergy, which are estates one and two, the, everyone else is like, no, screw you, we're going to have our own uh, assembly. Uh, they take an oath on a tennis court. So that's the tennis court oath. If you remember one thing from the French Revolution, remember that. Uh, and then they, 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 things just went nuts from there. It just kind of <laughs> like they start off like constitutional monarchy. That sounds like a good idea. And you know, within a matter of months, they're like, "Kill the king, behead him, you know, get rid of all the aristocrats," and just the rage is is just yeah. boiling over. Um, and Robespierre was was a very efficient sort of uh, uh, person who pointed that rage in the right directions. One thing I love about Robespierre, so he was a, he was a lawyer from the provinces, mm. and he kind of won uh, all these awards for being a bright young thing, and and he actually gave this uh, speech which was like his, his award for some recognition for something or whatever. And the speech was to the king, uh, Louis the Sixteenth, and Marie Antoinette, his queen. Mm. Um, but they didn't even get out... Hey, thumbs up. They didn't even get out of the carriage to listen to it. They just sort of mm, sat there. Wow. And Robespierre's like, screw you guys, I stayed up all night writing this. One of these days I'm going to guillotine you too. He did not say. Um, but yeah, they he wanted so, to. Yeah. <laughs> so the Fred, this there's like uh, there's a great video on YouTube where they go to like you know number of governments counter. It's like it gets up to like six different governments that this National Assembly puts in. Uh, like you know, there's a a different government right. every week, folks. It's like French and Italian politics today. They got one of those blackboards is like number of days since <laughs> <Yes>. last government. <laughs> So he ends up in charge of this thing called the Committee for Public Safety, which may be the most Orwellian named uh, entity to ever govern a country. Because, uh, no, it wasn't about public safety. It was about um, pretty much executing anyone who didn't agree with the ideas of the revolution. Uh, they basically, you know, they, they executed this group that had started calling for revolution in the first place because they were too centrist now. Um 
And it gets so confusing. And even even French people who study this are like, I cannot keep track of all the different uh, regimes <laughs> and all of the different factions. Uh, but yeah, well, basically, Robespierre, we got to know, is like, he was a super cool dude at first. He was calling for democracy. He actually literally called for democracy uh, wow. very early on. Of course. And, you know, and he was like, he was known as the incorruptible. Um, mm. And, you know, people loved his speeches and, you know, he just got a bit carried away with his own power and he got carried away with the, the purity of the revolution. And that's mm. what led us to the reign of terror. Also, the fact that you had this guillotine, which was supposed to be a, a very democratic way of executing people. Mm. Like, because before that, you know, you'd have people he- people's heads hacked off. Right, and it would take right. three or four blows. If you wax, it, yes, and especially if you were a commoner, uh, you know, you might get hung, drawn, or quartered, or yeah, <clears throat> you know, if you were an aristocrat, you could afford to pay for a swordsman who would just come and slice your head off in one, one neat stroke. Um, <laughs> so it's supposed to be, oh, it's a democratic way of death, but it turned into this thing of like just like 30 executions a day in the middle of mm. Paris. It was the the main spectacle. Tout le monde was interested in watching this stuff, watching the head fly into the basket. Once you have seen one head fly into a basket, you're like, I'm hooked. I, I want to keep watching this. So <laughs> it was one of those situations. Where, reality show. It was a reality show. Yeah, pretty right? much. Yeah. And it's just sort of like you can see any, you know, not to get too political, like what, what this might harbor for for america but just you know think think of the way that that like trump supporters have gone like pretty radical in uh just just in his uh, uh well, interregnum I mean, you might call it from his perspective yeah but i mean settle down i mean like it's you know no, no i'm not saying that everyone's going to be guillotined but like you yeah, can yeah. see the progression right of well, you know, I mean, a you lot of things see see similar um Put similar tendencies in, like uh, from from cancel culture from the left. Oh yeah, like, let's yeah. get let's get you know uh, metaphorical guillotines out for anyone yeah. who dares cross uh, an ideological line. So, yeah, and, you know, and this is you know it's technically a leftist revolution, and te- you know yeah. when 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 uh, right wingers say oh, oh you know leftists always end up as Stalin, right? You know the the, the little revolutions always start off very progressive, uh, and this is what they end up with. You know, yeah. they're not saying that out of nowhere. They have a point, and the French Revolution is sort of one of the prime examples of it. Yeah, no, it's fair, and it's it's I like the sort of meta perspective, not really taking sort of uh, the political side of like. If you are so insecure in your revolution, whatever that may be, that mm. you need to guillotine everyone who dares, like one, in, like get get out one inch out of the the being being you know in 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 your vein, mm. um, that's a problem. Then then you're, you're, yep. you're like if you're doing thirty executions a day, whatever they they may be, that's okay. You might want to just mm. start rethinking what what you're even doing here. So, and it was uh, also partly, and it's kind of appropriate that so much of the, the Reign of Terror story takes place in prisons, uh, particularly yeah. this prison, which housed, I think, about 3,000 uh, prisoners. Like, it's, it's a real place. Mm-hmm. Housed about 3,000 pers- yeah. prisoners during the Reign of Terror. That one. Um, and uh, it, it was sort of, so the guillotine was also used kind of a, uh, <laughs> kind of a extreme drastic solution to prison overcrowding. Uh, which is a problem that they had. And uh, what Robespierre, this one-time champion of democracy, did is he basically got rid of the rule of law. He was like, you know, you can't have a lawyer 
you can't mm. say anything in your own defense. You know, you're just going to be tried, and we're either going to free you or execute you. A surprising number of people were freed, we should say. Um, but then also a surprising number of people were just killed in the prison. And right. like, we'll, we'll never know the true cost of the reign of terror because it just rained in the streets. And, and it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, you can kind of imagine what happens. Neighbors would turn on their neighbors. Sure, sure. Like, well, you, know, you see that in, in, yeah. the, in the show, too. I mean, you got mm-hmm. the, the tailor. The person yep. who does the doctor's costume, and you know, there's there's any number the of double crosses. The physician, yeah. everyone's just I'm going to turn on people, and that way, at least I'll save my own skin. Like they're yeah. not really taking a side other than the side of survival and self-preservation. So there is this. Uh, so Robespierre has his leading, his former friend who was on the committee of public safety with him uh, executed, and the guy ominously says Robespierre's next. Uh, and he was kind of right because yeah, the, wrong, deputies, yeah. the deputies turned on him. There was, there was a plot, and like, oh god, we got to get rid of this guy. He's kind of gone a bit power mad. And yeah, he did uh, give this big speech to the deputies. They kind of compressed the timeline in in uh, the Doctor Who story. Uh, uh, but it is true when they come. So they they bring Robespierre out of that room. Remember where he's got like his broken jaw. Oh yeah, and they don't really say. Yeah, he shot. They don't really off screen. He shot like, off screen. That's pretty brutal for Doctor Who, even though they don't even really show blood. It's like wow, yeah. I was shot in the face. What actually happened was Robespierre tried to shoot himself. Oh, and failed. Well, arguably, arguably that is what happened. I mean, they don't yeah. really show the scene, yeah. so you know everyone can make their assumptions. Yeah, but yeah. So interesting. it's interesting they they don't like that opportunity for a bit more drama. They don't really make it clear, uh, and it's so so brutal because like he's got this bandage for the next few days as he's waiting to be guillotined, and the last thing the executioner does before he drops the blade is he rips the bandage off Robespierre's face, like the bandage that's holding his jaw right. basically <laughs> to his face, and Robespierre just screams in pain and like wow. that's the only thing that stopped the screens was the blade oh okay well that's a, that's a good moment to do right. a little more housekeeping <laughs> everyone know uh, what their thoughts are on the reign of terror via the socials you could uh talk to us on pull to open on tiktok and blue sky or pull to open 63 on twitter instagram facebook and threads and relate just how traumatized you were by Chris's description of accurate historical <laughs> events and whether you're not, you think that should have been in the show. I'm going with no, um, <laughs> but now I think it's time, time to answer some questions. All right. And those questions are the four questions to doomsday. First question. Why did the randomizer take us here? Well, uh, it turns out the Reign of Terror is the randomizer's favorite historical period ever. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just likes a bit of French history. No, no, what, it, what the randomizer loves is Hartnell historicals. Yeah, it absolutely. can't get enough of them. And it's really astonishing. Pete, we're so close to a Hartnell historical bingo. Yeah, we're getting um, close. We've done, yeah wow, what are we missing? We we're missing this. the massacre. The massacre, and, of course. And the crusade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, if you count uh, 10,000 BC or 100,000 BC, whatever the hell unearthly channels is really called. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> no, no. Let's not count that. No. We won't count no, that. Actual, more. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, just two more. We've been to all of it. It's super weird, right? Like, we shouldn't be anywhere close to if this was a truly random yeah. distribution. Uh, so I think the randomizer is trying to tell us something. He's trying to send us a warning about the so, Reign of Terror. I don't see too many connections with the Reign of Terror to Daleks, which is what we had a big mm-hmm. trilogy of recently, or the Curse of Fenric, other than Historical. it's a nice reminder that you don't need creatures or ancient things from the future to represent evil. I mean, there is plenty of evil right here in history and a lot of Mm. brutality, cruelty. In fact, it's probably the better way. And if there's a link to something we've done recently, I think it's demons of the Punjab, which Mm. is also, you know, again, not a pure historical, but the evil in that episode is clearly very human in nature and about people preying on brothers uh, literally in that episode, but uh, yeah. certainly the fraternité uh, being not, you know, not uh, mm. the strongest bond, and then you know, there's just uh, lots of cruelty and, and brutality that rolls. Yeah, so there liberty, it is. Just go to history. Liberty, liberty, egality, fraternité. By the way, coined by Robespierre, uh, yeah. you know, when when he was still a nice guy. But it's interesting you should mention the demons of the Punjab because yeah, I totally got demons of the Punjab vibes. That whole sense of a people kind of. Like so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the madness arrives. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you you unpick something from society, and then everything falls apart. It's extra appropriate because the original idea for this historical was going to be set in the uh, was going to be Terry Nation writing about the Indian Rebellion of eighteen fifty seven. Oh, right? wow! That would have been interesting. I- it would have been so interesting because then the first three historicals in the Hartnell era would would have been nothing to do with Europe. Uh, mm. It would have been yeah, Marco Polo. Uh, and then uh, the, the Aztecs, Aztecs. Yeah. Mm. And, and then this and it would have been three for three in terms of non-European history so well, RTD there's still yeah. some territory to mine there you go yeah. for it yeah David Whitaker was also supposed to do a story on the Spanish Armada that got crossed off and then only then did we end up in the Reign of Terror alright well not sorry that we ended up here um, <laughs> but it is time to move on to the second question, which of course is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? <laughs> so wow. the evil plot being what exactly? Are we talking about Robespierre trying to hang on to power? We could be. I'd like to su- suggest an alternate evil plot, which is the doctor being so sassy with Ian and Barbara that he drops them off because he thinks they're in Somerset. And, and it just uh, leaves. Close enough, <laughs> and it just leaves. Just abandons them, which was his original plan. It's true, right? So, yeah. Anna Barbara would be stuck in the yeah, reign well, of terror. About that because that's, I think it's interesting because that scene and even uh, other, maybe even the end, sort of suggests that the Doctor can steer the TARDIS more than hmm. he is seems to be able to later. Because as I recall in that other pure historical, I believe it's the smugglers where he basically just confesses. He doesn't really know yep. where they're going to be. He just, I don't know. Just I never know. Basically a randomizer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and here he seems to be trying. So what this suggests is that the TARDIS might've been working better previous to, to like the fast return switch breaking, the chameleon circuit breaking. Uh-huh. So, so there was a period where he was able to steer it a little more. And because the whole thing suggests that, he's also been here before, right? At least at some point in the terror, maybe not necessarily this exact date. So 
interesting. You know, it's it's an interesting thing to unpack that mm. maybe he did some kind of reboot or. And you know how you uh, might reboot your computer or your app and you lose your browser history or your settings yep. and you're just like, well, I was just, you didn't realize you were going by some setting you had kicked in and then you lose it. That that seems to be what's <laughs> happened to the doctor here. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's also interesting, by the way, the only st- thing that stops that evil plot of the doctor succeeding, uh, banishing Ian and Barbara, is the, the promise of a drink. Uh, which we, means we must revisit our question of like, is the is the first Doctor a drunk? Because you know we talked about this <laughs> in the Gunfighters. We talked about him taking mead in the Time Meddler. He refuses wine from the Jailer in this. Mm. So you know he's he's not a complete lush, uh, but he does he does like the idea of having a drink with friends. So he's a social drinker. Maybe the randomizer is like taken us here to to finally figure that out but yeah okay so that's the evil plot of the doctor that succeeded in and barbara pretty much dead because uh, their <laughs> french isn't that great and even Tardis if they survive they're dead well before 1963 yeah. so yeah dead. it's my, maybe if they're lucky it's an amy and rory situation and right you know, they exactly. get to live long and happy lives in the past and the doctor can never visit them again um, but okay, let's say the evil plot is Robespierre's to just mm. like try to execute all of his uh, opponents. That that was just never going to succeed. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. if, even if he holds on to power for a little longer, I mean, I guess you, mm. you have to go through the exercise of history being altered. And so you sort of get some sort of alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. And then if, again, I don't think you necessarily prevent the broad strokes of history unfolding as they did, but presumably within this story, like Sterling gets exposed, he gets executed. Um, what happens to the TARDIS team? I don't really know because there's a lot of things sort of on a tactical level I would not have done. So it seems like when uh, Leon betrays them and they're all like, well, you know, surely there's going to be some revolutionary guards coming to the house where they're at. Or something, and then they sort of they sort of gloss over that. They sort of go, "No, he would have done it himself. I know him." It's like, well, shouldn't you just be cautious here and like never go back to that house? Isn't isn't that probably the most prudent thing to do? And they just don't. And I presume the only thing I can think of is they just want didn't want to go to another set. You know, like we we only have so many sets here. We have to just keep coming back to this house. Yeah, Um, I mean, maybe you know, if if we believe Susan, where she says we might not get back to the ship if Grandfather Hears were in the Reign of Terror, like maybe he would just want to stick. Especially if like they're like, "What? Wait a minute, Robespierre survived! Like he's supposed Mm. to be at the guillotine right now." And the doctor's like, "Fascinating! I'm going to stick around and find what find out what goes on." So maybe they all get stuck in uh, Napoleonic France. And uh, you yeah, know, or well, and maybe Napoleon it, it, even it takes turns into kind of a back to the future situation mm-hmm. where they have to like put history back on course, and it's it's sort of alternate history, but not too much. And then right. the books get written. I don't know in some some other way they get edited. So that could be <laughs> interesting. All right, All right. <clears throat> moving on to the third question, which is where is the Clara Splinter? <laughs> Okay, so go with me on this one. I, had, I initially had a very boring explanation where she was just sort of the person supplying the jailer with his, his cognac or his wine or whatever. Mm. But here's, the, here's my other alternate. Maybe there's two splinters here. And mm. how, do I, how do I explain this? Okay, so 
the so there's a point where you know Ian has that person in the cell uh-huh. uh, who tells him the Shangri yep. like this is where this thing is, and then yes, miraculously like and then he gets captured at, at that spot or whatever. But then in episode six, miraculously he remembers a conversation that never happened yep. about this other bar where they end up going to find Napoleon. The and sinking ship with with Horace, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And what this, I think, behind the scenes, it shows us they were rewriting on the fly. But I think this is something where time can be rewritten on the fly. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, there's a Clara Splinter there uh, in the house or overhearing things, and basically understands. Oh crap! Ian doesn't know where the thing is like he didn't get enough information from Webster. So she goes back uh-huh. and this is all off screen or, or another splinter goes back to the cell to tell Webster <laughs> to tell Ian this other thing too. So in other words, there's some timey wimey stuff between those two periods within the reign of terror to ensure like there's some time editing so that Ian in the moment as the uh, splinter is doing this suddenly remembers <laughs> Oh, yeah. He also said this other thing. I don't know why I remembered that until this this other second. And then you have Clara in the foreground, just kind of like thumbs up. <laughs> yep. Got it. Yes, Clara. Uh, I I I had exactly the same thing. Uh, Clara yeah. is at Le Chien Gris, the gray dog, mm-hmm. uh, and she's she's a barmaid there because. You know, we've we've already seen like Victorian barmaid uh, Clara. You know, and uh, is, it, is she a barmaid as yeah. well as a governess in uh, in the Snowman? I, she I is. Forget. Yep, that's right. Yep. So she's obviously like she can pull off two roles. So yeah, she she's a barmaid there. She just like uh, pops her pops her head out and says something to Ian about, uh, oh yeah, you're you're here because that Webster dude uh, actually he um, he wanted me to tell you this other thing. Uh, but don't, don't mention my name if this other comes up. Don't mention my name. <laughs> I wasn't even here. Like I'm, you know, I'm. Just say Webster said this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, so yeah, I think we're we're in agreement that the Clara Splinter can can uh, can fill a very uh, well noticed plot hole to those who have actually noticed the serial in the first place. Good job, Clara. Possibly in three places at once there. (laughs) All right, moving on to the last question, the ultimate question, the only question that matters for the Reign of Terror. What did we think of this story? So the poll to open rating system has six ratings. There's the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which is for an irredeemably bad episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is a not great episode, but hey, at least we learned something. And the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. The Fixed Point in Time, which is a show beyond rating, something we can't rate often for reasons of nostalgia. Or the Lady Cassandra, which is a paper-thin plot, but hey, at least it looks good, especially with a little moisturizing. Yes, and perhaps with with a little uh, sash and uh, a little uh, hat, like uh, the Doctor's fabulous mm. costume. Um, well, I think this one is a hater. 
A hater. Because, a hater. Because tell. they tried something. Like, I, I, you know, maybe we can do a special episode on this at some point. The, the, the notion of, like, getting lost in a story. I mentioned this last week, the idea of getting lost, but not in a good way. You know, where, where you just, like, can't follow the plot. And you're just like, mm. I don't even know what's going on. It, that happened to me in this case. Like, I had to read the transcript again. I had to watch... Uh, you know, one of the middle episodes again to, to just get what the hell was going on here when they're coming in and out of the house and like, who, who's Jules, who's Jean, too many characters. I can't even, so like, it doesn't hang together as a story for me, but they were clearly trying something. They clearly wanted historical content in Doctor Who. They were casting around with like different ways to do it. Obviously, uh, John Lucarotti did Marco Polo. You know, we talked about what a, what a fine, uh, example that was. Um, this, this not so much. And yes, people should be able to see it, all of it, uh, animated episodes included, and it should be easier to find. But I just don't think that I could recommend it as a story. You know, they were trying something. Uh, but I don't think we should call it a professor hater because we are in the middle of the reign of terror and I feel like a professor will be uh, executed. A professor will meet the guillotine. So arise, citizen hater. <laughs> not a professor no not, not um, a professor just a citizen just like you a sans galot well i'm not gonna be as hard i'm gonna give it le dalek <laughs> uh, oui, oui. Uh, yeah it's definitely too long there are problems like you say i don't think the problems are that serious because i i, I really don't think the minutiae of the plot is all that important to be honest with you. I think it is more of a backdrop and it's more of a mood. And I think it really succeeds on those points. And at the same time, even though, you know, the characters are a little confusing about who's doing what and their motivations at times, I do like that you peel back a couple of layers to not just characters, but also the caricatures they're doing. Like a couple examples, the peasants uh, who are soldiers early on. And Mm. they're clearly not just soldiers right they're not well trained they're just a bunch of folks that are barely obeying orders and doing whatever i think that's very smart um and another one i think i think it's jules where they sort of assume he's an aristocrat and he basically says no you know i just i really don't like what's happening to my country and i feel like this is the best way to support it um by by sort of working against um you know the revolution or at least saving people from the revolutionary forces here and there so like I, I do like that there are layers there, and it did exactly what they're doing, the, the motivations here and there. I, I, I don't think you necessarily need to keep it straight in your head because I don't think people making it were keeping it straight in their head. They were yeah. kind of just, you know, what's the double Winging cross? It. They were just yeah. thinking about like, okay, how do we, how do we juice up this scene here and there, and who, who can be the bad guy, and let's, let's make that, yeah. you know, just on the fly. So I'm not too worried about it. So I, I think it really works. Um, it's a solid, successful uh, episode of Doctor Who. It's a Dalek for me. It's a Dalek, le Dalek, uh, which uh, you might like to know that the French for exterminate is exterminaire, so it doesn't even have to change its language very much. All nice. right. All right. Wow. Put that with the German Daleks from uh, <laughs> Journey's End at some point. But folks, you get to have your say now about the reign of terror go spotify listeners go to your app go ahead and rate this story as the dalek ground professor hater viscount banger fixed point in timer lady cassandra have your say and we will reveal the results in a future 
episode of Pull to Open, but now we're going to see where those future episodes will take us by activating the randomizer. Yes, the randomizer, or le randomizer, as we call it. Uh, we <laughs> never again will call we, it. We've, sh- we've shut the door on this adventure. We'll <laughs> never call it again. <laughs> uh, yes, the randomizer has two components, de component. Um, oh, God. oh, God, sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Means that it controls the first one. It's the codex. It's the list of Doctor Who stories in sequential order. Uh, Pete, how many how many stories do we have left to watch? It was one hundred and ninety four. One hundred and ninety four, or one hundred and ninety two plus two more Hartnell historicals. Um, yes, so I plug those numbers into the other component of uh, the uh, randomizer, which is random.org or the executor. Uh, the executor with a guillotine with a swift chop to the guillotine it dispenses a number without going through any messy aristocratic algorithms no it looks at pure honest working class atmospheric noise uh, and uh, yes the atoms bouncing around the atmosphere do not wear trousers they are the sun's collots. Um and yes, we'd like to issue challenges to the randomizer before we uh, find a number between 1 and 214. You said, right? Uh, yes. One, uh, one, 1 and 194. Uh, sorry, one, 194. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to give all us right. extra ones. Uh, yeah, so what one <laughs> is. Trying you to know take what? us all the way to like Shooty's third season. <laughs> Um, That's right. This the randomizer goes forward in time as well. So um, I'm going to give a challenge here. Yep. Um, in celebration of Doctor Who's first location shooting, <laughs> I'd like to take take us to something with some pretty extensive or interesting location mm. shooting. Something where the location stuff was actually quite notable. So on do location. something with that randomizer. That could work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've already did um, Spearhead from Space. So. Mm. I don't know if, uh, on film, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, not n- none of that was studio, as I understood. But anyway. right, right. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Let's just you, randomize it. You love Hartnell historicals. Let's do it. Let's let's oh, wow. finish this. Let's You're going do. For the bingo card. I'm going for the bingo card. I'm going for give us oh. massacre or give us crusade. That or if the, you must do, give us yeah. you know 100,000 BC. If that you randomize in, inside straights for of all inside <laughs> straights, uh, almost as specific as the TV movie, yeah. but maybe it'll surprise us. And all give right, us that. let's find out. All right, let's do it in four, three, two, one. Run for your life. 133. Oh my! Oh my! New Who, we are New at who? Amy's Choice. <gasps> oh, I love Amy's Choice. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the Dream Lord. Yes. And true to its form, the randomizer responding me- to me from like weeks ago when I said, we're not, we haven't done enough Smith. Yep. <laughs> Let's do some Smith. There's also a lot of location in this one. There is. It's all set in the village, yeah, except for the bits that are set in the TARDIS. Yeah, 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 that's true. There, there's decent, there's decent stuff here. Yeah, nice um, one. Okay, well, folks, this has been pull to open. Uh, we're really looking forward to revisiting New Who next week. 
we might even have a surprise guest mm-hmm. on the podcast to help is us. Is it the Dream uh, Lord? It's the Dream Lord, isn't it? Could be the Dream Lord, but no, uh, it's pro- it's going to be someone from another Doctor Who podcast that you mm. know and love, and very appropriate because uh, Come Along and Pond are <laughs> in the title of the, the podcast. <laughs> Which might that might that might even be dialogue in this episode, so we'll see. So anyway, guys, subscribe to us on the socials or wherever you're encountering us. We're at Pull to Open or Pull to Open sixty three on all kinds of social networks. Once again, on YouTube, you can become a true companion to this podcast with seven ninety nine a month. You get the podcast a day early, or you can even become a Viscount and you can feature as a guest on the program. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you in the dreamscape. That's right. We will see you in Ledworth, or will we? 